0: This is In Perspective with Bob Branko and Peter Alchul.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. Glad to be with all of you today. I'm also glad to have, as always, Peter Alchul, my good friend and colleague, as my co-host. Peter, I hope you're going to tell me it's warming up in Missouri. I hope it's you're it's telling me that, me that today.
2: It's 85 degrees here today. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, With a a very strong wind, like 30 miles an hour. So we're a little bit nervous about fires and things and severe weather in a couple of days. But it's beautiful. Beautiful here.
1: Well, let's hope there are no fires. Let's hope it rains uh, from time to time to keep that from potentially happening. Exactly. Okay. Let me offer some thanks and some acknowledgments. Raymond Gay, our producer, thank you very much for making our show the quality show that it is. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, because they post our shows up on their chat line bulletin board number 15. Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, who archives our programs on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Just arrow down until you get to In Perspective Podcasts, click on those, and you'll see our archives. And last but not least, our media outlets. Thank you very much for airing our program, as you do very well. Thank you.
2: Merci, Jackie. And thank you to all of you who make us sound better than we actually do.
1: I also want to give a shout out to a faithful listener, Mrs. Marta Bartel. Thank you very much for listening to In Perspective. Keep listening. And we hope to hear from a lot of other listeners when they send me their comments about our shows. That way I'll know who you are and I can say hi to you on following shows. Our guest for today is somebody that's very familiar to a lot of you. She's been on our program before. Her name is Annie Chiappetta. And Annie, I'm hoping very much that I'm pronouncing that right. Jaws wrecks your name. I mean, really, Jaws is like (laughs) that. So I'm going to say, at the risk of making a mistake, Annie Uh, Chiappetta.
3: That sounds perfect.
1: Okay, Annie it. Yeah, you can say it any way
3: you want. And, and uh, versatile.
1: Okay. Uh, anyway, Annie is an author. She's also a physical therapist, I believe. Annie does a lot of things for the community. And, and uh, you know, great job for, that you do all these things, Annie. But we're glad to have you back on In Perspective. You were a guest once before. But I think since then, you have published your first book. And that's what we're going to talk about today, among other things. The name of your book is Hope for the Tarnished. That's a very intriguing title, and you're going to talk about that with uh, us and our listeners uh, this afternoon. Annie, welcome back.
3: Thank you, Bob. Thanks. Um, Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Um, Actually, this is my fifth book, but my first fiction novel.
1: Your first fiction novel. Okay, very good.
2: So, Annie, uh, as you've alluded to, you've written prior books before, uh, poetry and memoir and short stories, as I remember. What prompted you to take the leap to to be a novelist?
3: (laughs) Um, I don't know. Maybe a lapse of reasoning. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, I've always wanted to write a novel, and I wanted to see if I could do it. Uh, So I I took the challenge.
2: And there I am. That's a good answer. Yeah, exactly. So uh, before we, we dive into the novel, could you say a li- like give me your uh, thumbnail sketch of who you are, who, who is Annie, what what's your prior work history, who you are, you know that, that kind of stuff. Just uh, give people a sense of who you are.
3: Sure. Um, I used to be an acrylic furniture designer and then I lost my vision in 1993. and uh, I went through um, vision rehab for a long time, went back to college. I earned a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Uh, Then I I worked in the um, nonprofit sector for a while for an independent living center uh, in the county where I live. And then I finally uh, got my full-time job at uh, at the VA, and I worked as a trauma counselor for just about 10 years. I retired from that in 2019, and now I'm a full-time writer uh, and I've also started uh, investigating my um, ability to to do podcasting and uh, performance based poetry and doing presentations and that kind of stuff. So that's where I am today. I have a website and a blog. Um, I try to keep myself, uh, uh, you know, a social presence on Facebook. And I just dove into Instagram. Not, not, not too sure how successful I will be trying to be an influencer, but uh, it's fun.
2: So, so uh, uh, before we forget, what is your website? If folks want to learn more about you and your books,
3: you can go to www.annchepetta.com. And that is spelled A-N-N-C-H-I-A-P-P-E-T-T-A
1: dot C-O-M. So it's two what P's inspired and two you T's. Two P's and two T's. Yep. Annie, what inspired you to become a writer? Uh,
3: actually, I've always wanted to, to be a writer. Even when I was a little girl, I, you know, I wrote little short stories and stuff. I love to read. Uh, it was just a natural way for me to express my creativity. Uh, and then, uh, I realized that I was good at it, you know, during school, I always got A's on my reports and, you know, all that stuff. And then in college, I did well. Uh, and, uh, I kind of turned to poetry as a way to um, deal with uh, the depression that I had after I was diagnosed with going blind from RP, and and that really helped me as a catharsis, cathartic way. And then I just got I just stuck with it. I found that it, it was uh, it was just a way for me to be who I was, and became like a natural, you know, hobby I guess.
1: Um, avocation. If I may add, if I may add another venue that you were involved with, which was the one that I first met you through, and that was Matilda Ziegler. You were a columnist for Matilda Ziegler magazine, especially when it was a weekly magazine. Uh, yes, I became,
3: yep, that's how I met was you, around, through, was through Right, it was around magazine.
1: 2010. Mm-hmm. Yes, I missed that magazine, Great. by the way. Great.
3: So Being Annie, a columnist is really cool. It teaches you a lot of things about yourself, about your writing, about what you can attain, and about some of your weaknesses and
2: challenges as well. So, Annie, take us through the day of the the, the day, a day in the life of a trauma counselor.
3: Oh boy! Well, the day in the life of a trauma. Okay, well, b- basically, you 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 need really good training, and uh, you need to understand uh, the therapeutic relationship between you and the person and in what context that is. And, um, hopefully, uh, you will be able to, um, listen and be open and help that person heal by, um, being a support and, uh, and, and, and it's a process. And some people don't get much relief from it. Some people do, uh, uh, being, you know, being traumatized and having PTSD is a lifelong um, condition and has to be managed. And it takes people to help do that. Can't do it alone. Uh, you know, what I learned most was that just by my listening and being able to take their pain for a little while, that helped them. So, um, so I learned a lot about people, about the human condition, about relationships, about pain and suffering, um, also about hope and healing and about, um, being inspired or looking forward, being kind to one another. So being a therapist is about being with people at every level, um, that they need to be met. And I think that really helped me be a better writer as well as being a better person. I mean, I, I can't, I can't, some of the stories that I've heard, <laughs> I, you know, just can't be retold.
2: Yeah. It shouldn't be. No, you know? <laughs> I think that's right. So uh, I'm guessing that your experience as a trauma counselor and as a family therapist had, a, had an impact on on this novel you've written. Yes. You talk, very talk? insightful of you, Peter. <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> makes a lot of sense.
2: So yes. can, can you talk a little bit about, about that? How, 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 do you think that, how, how did that influence the, 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 the trajectory of the book. Yeah, uh,
3: so so the, the the actual the story arch is about a girl who is traumatized a number of times by a different a number of different situations throughout her life, and and how that related to her, her family, and her herself in terms of her ability to love and receive love. Um, often trauma um, distorts that or prevents people from. Knowing genuine love and affection, or being able to provide that to another person. So I think that that is what you're, what you hinted about is it? It's it's about overcoming trauma and and finding um and finding hope, and healing and and moving forward with your life in a good way.
2: And of course, love too, right? This the is, love. Yes. This is, this is in many ways a love story. Yes. Um and what what's what's the sort of the age group for this book i mean wh- who's your audience
3: my audience is 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 really young adults and family uh so so the book isn't um i mean it does have some uh sexual content in it but it's not something that it's something that is specific and germane to the love story itself but it, it you know it is a young adult story uh it's about young adults it's 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 about uh, you know, their growth through, you know, the mature maturing and becoming the people that, uh, you know, that they hope to be, um, after they get through their teenage years. And so,
2: and, uh, I was and like, Bob, I was intrigued with the title hope for the tarnished. Can you sort of talk about how that title came to be and, and how you, what that title means to you?
3: <laughs> sure. I mean, Lenore is on the phone. I mean, she's she's here listening, and and we went back and forth on the title. Like, uh, 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 first it was Tarnished Hope, and um, and then we, you know, it was mm, that's not just right. And she she said, "Why don't you make it Hope for the Tarnished?" And I went back and forth on that for a little while. And I said, "Yeah, I think that you know, this sounds better, and it's more unique." And
1: well, the, the thing about itself, Tarnished. The thing about tarnished hope, tarnished would be an adjective, and I don't think hope mm. should be classified as such. So I agree with your final decision.
3: <laughs> Thank
0: tarnished you. Yeah. 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 So uh,
1: and, and <clears throat> Go ahead, I'm sorry.
3: Oh, sorry. Uh so I, I wanted the book titled to give a piece of what was going to happen to this person and in, in, in the story. So um you know, and there were times that the, uh, the Abby, the main character felt like she was never going to be able to be hopeful about, you know, out, you know, out outmaneuvering all of this, this pain and this suffering in her life. And that's why I named it the way I did.
2: And I, I think it's a really, uh, it's a, I think it's a really creative title and I think it really does in a really nice way, you know, hint at what the plot is about. The first thing that I saw when I opened the book was this quote, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away, Maya Angelou quote. So that I assume is the epigraph. And can you talk a little bit about what that quote means to you and how that became the epigraph of the book?
3: Sure. I I was looking for a quote that um that uh, just uh, ca- encapsulated the book's intent and uh and and why that quote spoke to me was because of the um because of the the main it, abby was looking for a way to finally um be able to love the person she wanted to love and be free in doing so Um, and, and being, uh, kept away from that for so long, part of the story is, you know, uh, not being able to, uh, to admit, you know, or to be able to be free to love the person she felt that she wanted to love. And that's what that quote is about that.
2: And I noticed that she's not the only person in in the story who has a hard time loving people who, uh, who they want to love. Is that a fair yes.
3: assessment? Yeah.
2: Yes. Um, yes. Uh, and, uh, uh, I, you know, without going to great detail, there's a lot of things in this book that, that are that are edgy that I thought were really interesting, especially in, for the time period the book is written for. What's the time period this book was written for?
3: The time period is between um, the mid 1970s to the mid 1980s.
2: So, so, so what were some of the things that sort of were important to you and during that time period that you that you sort of thought were really important? You know, it's just, just in general terms, but also in the book's progress.
3: One of the main things, the most interesting thing when I started writing the book was, was, okay, was marijuana. Back then, marijuana was evil. Yeah. If you smoked marijuana, you were, you were, you know, the dregs of society. You, you would now go it's crazy. Legal. You, would, you know, Right. <laughs> so in that context, I had to make marijuana the bad guy. You know, I had to really like go back and, and, Take that, and the, you know it was okay if you smoked cigarettes. It was okay if you drank, but if you smoked pot, you were just—that's it. You were, you know. Uh,
1: Annie, would you agree that it would be so, harder today to convey that message because oh, yes, marijuana is yes, yes.
3: Right. Well, so that's why I—I I made sure that I—I I made the um, the 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 you know between the 1970s and 80s there was that a big shift in uh on how people viewed drugs and, and alcohol. And I mean, in the middle of that book, the drinking age went from 18 to 21.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, and I, I was like that much, that was like a a seminal part of beginning people to uh, understand the social context of what was going on in the book. Um, And and that's why I mentioned it um, in one of the chapters during um, was that, you know, Wow. You know, drinking age was going up to 21 from 18. What does that mean? It's a a big social shift. So I try to bring that stuff in uh, to, to, to focus the, the time in history. So people wouldn't feel like, you know, so, so people would be able to understand while they're reading, okay, this is this time, you know, and this is what happened in this time. And this is why. Um, They dressed the way they did and they spoke the way they did. um.
2: So one of the things that really struck me about the, about the book or the descriptions of various uh, scenes or atmospheres, you know, you describe the house of a, of a very rich family. You describe uh, an apartment that, that uh, Abby and and her family lived in, which was far from that. You describe uh, a, a, what I think you could be, can be described as a sort of unusual discotheque, right? Where people are, um, you know, are, are doing their thing in more ways than one. Uh, you describe the dress, uh, the various costumes of the various folks who are uh, uh, in the, and you do it in in ways that I, um, frankly, to be blunt, that I've, I haven't seen too many blind folks do. And I'm wondering how you did that. How did you, how did you, uh, how, did you were, how were you able to do the, all the, all those descriptions so effectively?
3: That's uh, an interesting question, uh, and I'll just you know tell you right right from the start. I I'm going back from my memories when I had vision. Um, I didn't lose my vision until I was older, and when I was in my twenties, <laughs> I was in the clubs in the city all the time. Um, that club scene is from um, uh, uh, a club that we used to go to called the Limelight. It was a, uh, it was originally a church and they made it into a club. And um, that scene is from the limelight. Uh, uh, so I took a lot of visual. Uh, opportunities um, and, and dug into my visual memories and wrote from that perspective.
2: So what about uh, just out of curiosity that there's, there's a, a very important scene where Abby is looking after a bunch of obnoxious, uh, small people. Uh, a toy miniature dog, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, it, but you describe the house in some detail. How, did, did you have some experience it in that situation as well as a, as a sighted person? And if not, how did you sort of because that that was really impressive that that those descriptions.
3: That house was one of the houses we used to we used to go biking past in Orienta Point where I used to live and just look at it and go, oh my god what would it be like to live there? You know, the poor kids driving by on their bikes and going, stopping and going, Oh wow, man. Like, yeah, that was, that was the house. And then um, since I never really got inside a mansion like that ever, I kind of had to imagine all of it um, and go from like what I knew from like uh house and gardens and things like that. And I just, I just had to wing it because I knew what the outside looked like. Right. I never knew what the inside looked like. So I just.
2: It was impressive. So so you obviously, you know, fell back on your experience reading those, those kinds of magazines. Did you do any additional other research uh, in creating those descriptions and or uh, formulating the plot of the book?
3: Um. Uh, you know, for, for, well, um, you know, it's interesting. I, um I use a lot of my imagination, like that for that big house, I was like, if I had a mansion and I could design it, what would I want it to be like?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I kind of, that's where I shot off from.
2: It's great. That's great. So there's obviously some autobiographical stuff in this book. um How much of this is autobiographical for you in your life?
3: Um, Not much. Okay. Um, There's, there's, there's some of the, some of the characters have some of the characteristics of some people that I know. Some of the characters are completely, you know, developed for the book itself. Um, And one specific character, Eddie, he, he was based on a character in my life at the time. He was uh, one of my mom's real boyfriends and um, he was a, one of the first healing influences that I had after my parents divorced. And he was like, he was the one good boyfriend my mom ever had. (laughs) So um, I always, I always told him, you know, know, Eddie, I love you. So that was, that was my, um, a tribute to Eddie because he was, he really was a cool person.
2: And Eddie is a cool person in the book. He he is. and And it's really, it's really a huge influence, especially in Abby's earlier life, you know, um, uh, getting her, getting her on the, on the redemption path, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that sort of intrigued me about the book is that Abby has a vision problem. Um, and it was, it was talk about how, what prompts you to make that decision that you would have a vision problem and how you think that influenced the plot of the book.
3: Sure. Well, originally the original, the first draft of the book, she was severely visually impaired. Um, and originally the first draft of the book, she, she was, you know, she was pretty, she was legally blind and she, uh, uh, I was planning on to eventually make her, um, lose her vision and, and, and make the book, uh, go on a completely different trajectory. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I didn't want to do that. I I only wanted her visual impairment to be that a visual impairment. I didn't want it to overtake her life and and really really add to the traumas she'd already that I was planning for her to already be experiencing. And um, that was just you know my personal you know I didn't I I wanted it to just kind of be what it was like for me growing up at first, just you know having having being nearsighted and having to wear glasses all the time but not having anything so severe that it would interrupt her life in any major way
1: I thought I that wanted was really to cool. uh, I wanted to digress just a little I wanted you to tell the listeners what's Eddie's relationship to Abby
3: oh Eddie's relationship to Abdie Abby is is the Abby's mom's ex-boyfriend good influence taught Abby all about uh personal discipline and and being confident and loving herself and helping her become an athlete and just uh take her out of some of the darkness in her life in a positive, caring way. And not in any way was Eddie uh you know a pedophile or anything like that. He was he was a, a straight up kind of uh uncle, you know.
2: Unlike one of unlike one of the other uh mother boyfriends, right? Oh yeah. Uh, there, there's a, there's an ugly scene in that book, which we don't need to go into great detail, but it's, uh, it, it what's, what's struck me about those scenes. And there are lots of them, you know, Abby goes, goes through a lot. There are lots of, of traumas that she has to deal with, which makes me glad you didn't add the visual impairment to them. I, I think it just would have, you know, at another level that was unnecessary because there's a lot that goes on in her life. That's, that's really unpleasant. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just is unpleasant. And, um, and, and what struck me is is that the at the time that you that the book is set in the seventies and early eighties that kind of stuff wasn't talked about a lot, right? The whole issue of, of 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 of, of um, molestation and drug addiction and you know other other things mental illness not, mental illness there's a lot of mm-hmm. mental illness in the book just wasn't talked about a lot during that period of time, right? That, yes, that, that just wasn't. And th- how that influenced the way you wrote the book? I mean, obviously you're aware of that dynamic. How did you find the balance to talk about that and keep it in the period in which the book was written for? In
3: oh wow, it was really hard. Uh, there were times where I just completely scrapped chapters and passages because they just went off the track and they didn't keep to the, uh, to, the um, to the to the to the to the integrity of the book and the time period within the book. That was really hard to keep it within that time period. And it was hard, not just in a, uh, me- you know, the mechanics of it or the craft of it. It was hard for me personally to stay in those moments or to imagine those moments. And because some of them, like you said, were really, really tough moments to be in. Yeah. Um, some of them were really fun and happy, but some of them really sucked.
2: <laughs> but- yeah. And it, it, it's the <laughs> moments that that you, that you want to, that, that are I would imagine the hardest to write about and, and to, and to keep, in within the scope of the of the plot and the and the period involved, right? Yes, you know, it'll be so much easier to write this book with a two thousands vibe, or everything you know, where, where, where mental illness is much more. It's not okay, but it's better than it was back in the seventies, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, it struck me, you know, this this back in the seventies, that stuff was never talked about, and of course, the treatment wasn't nearly as good as it is now. Not that the treatment's great now, but it, back then. You know we we're they were just beginning that treatment stuff, right? If I had my history correct of social work, you know, a yes. lot of the stuff was, was brand new stuff and a lot of it didn't work, right? Yes,
3: yeah. There's a scene, um, where Abby and her mom go and visit her sister, and uh, on the way, I'm not sure, I don't remember, I either mean, it's on the way in or out, they're sitting in the car, and Abby looks up at this beautiful, um, uh, uh, it's a house, but now it's what they used to call a halfway house. Um, and it's actually, you know, a place for, pe- for people who are mentally ill to, um, to kind of get themselves together before they go back out into the world. And it's just, you know, really nice old Victorian house. And Abby looks up at it and she sees, you know, how nice it is. And then she sees the bars on the windows mm-hmm. and that brings her back to like, this is like, not good. This is like, this. This is a horrible thing to happen to a family, and one of the
2: things—I'm sorry—to
3: have one of—to have somebody that you love be in a place with bars. It's just, yeah.
2: And, and yet she she she's not wildly empathetic toward toward her sister who's there. You know, there that, that's one of the challenges she has to has to deal with. I mean, how how do you deal with a sister who did what she did to her to Abby, and also you know did what she did to herself? Right. Yeah. I mean that, that that was one of the one of the challenges that she had to deal with.
3: Yes, that's, that's part of the, you know, her feeling conflicted. Um, you know, one of the, one of her, one of the things she struggled with throughout the book was, you know, loving a sister that was unlovable.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and the other, the other thing that, that this reminds me of is back in the seventies, you know, going into a treatment, mental health treatment center for, for a long period of time was not that unusual. Now it's like totally unusual. You, I mean, it, it's practically <laughs> impossible to get into a treatment center for more than a couple, two or three days, you know, unless it's a really serious issue. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a totally different world uh, for better, or better. Insurance. Well, yeah, it'll also do with insurance. <laughs> That's exactly right. Lots of things. So this All is The right. Perspective. This is Peter Altshul with Bob Branco, when we're interviewing Annie Chiappetta on her uh, new book, Hope. That's a novel, Hope for the Tarnished. And Anna, could you give your website again, please? Sure. It's ww.andshirpetta.com and it's spelled
3: A-N-N-C-H-I-A-P-P-E-T-T-A dot C O M.
2: Two Ps, two Ts. Uh so uh while we're but just before we um throw the floor over for questions, uh Anna, Annie, you have a passage you'd like to read to us. So if you could get that organized yeah. and sort of set up the passage, sure. um, and then we'll we'll throw it up for throw the floor over for questions. So, you know, while you're doing that, can you sort of talk about uh, what the passage is and set us up so we know what to what to expect?
3: Okay. <clears throat> is everybody ready?
2: We're ready. Hopefully We're ready. I am. Ah, well, <laughs> <right. details>. So
3: <laughs> um, this is a a, a later chapter. I actually didn't write the chapter down. That was a... Probably a a nervous thing. Um, So this is, uh, Abby is, uh, Peter, you mentioned the club, right? So this is the the club scene. Uh, So, and it's a short passage. It's about four minutes long.
2: So go ahead.
3: Okay. They entered the club. The floor beneath Abby's feet was thumping with bass and she couldn't wait to get out on the dance floor. Later after dancing until she was sweating off all her makeup, she wove her way, wove her way to one of the three bars and paid way too much for whiskey sour. She squinted in the brighter lights nearest the bar atmosphere, and thought she saw that uh, Sal dancing with another girl. He was really sexy, but something about him seemed off. He didn't hit on her ever. She found it kind of weird. Nancy was easy to spot. Her head shining in the disco lights, burnished, bold ponytail bouncing, gold pony gold ponytail bopping as she danced. Abby sipped, looking for Kenny. His white t-shirt was like a beacon. He was standing standing, sorry, he was standing shoulder to shoulder with another guy. She watched the other guy, who was a little older, probably 20 or even 30, reach out to touch his hair. And whatever he said made Kenny laugh and step just a little closer. She sipped some more, her gaze drifting out, taking out the mass of human bodies, gyrating, seeming to be one entity. The clubbers were all types, ages, and orientations. She decided she liked it. Still, she wondered why no one had approached her yet. Even Nancy seemed to have found another girl to rub and bump against with passionate abandon. Abby wondered, was she really... Abby wondered, was she... Abby wondered, was she really sending out the signal that she was too good for anyone and she was only now becoming aware of it? She could step into the dancers, move to the rhythm on her own, but she's already done that. It made her feel even more alone because she wanted to be with someone, but she didn't want it to be just anyone though. And part of her wanted to open her eyes and see Augie striding toward her, all tight and sexy in black jeans and T-shirt, his buzz cut, making his golden brown eyes alight with a fire only she could invoke. Josh was right and for the gazillionth time, Abby cringed inside thinking back on how ignorant she'd been and how how she had woven herself into this deception. And the worst of all, she cringed because she hurt Josh. She sipped her drink. She sipped her drink and forced away all the bad thoughts. Uh, uh, That's it.
1: Okay. That's okay. It's a nice job.
2: job. Uh, yeah does that a was that a cat yeah uh, that the cat 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 made a nice appearance and uh we we, we love we love we love cats
1: you know he it's wanted funny. to read he wanted to read too yeah so andy uh, uh,
2: yeah it's funny uh, you, you you and i are <laughs> approximately well uh, approximately the same age and i forgot about my experiences in discos and that and that it really was that way you know uh very loud ex- ex- wildly expensive drinks and just lots of chaos and uh, I also felt really alone in those places. I I never really liked them um, for different reasons, mm-hmm. but but uh, they they are. I I thought it's just that's just a wonderful description of the way things were back in the late seventies, early eighties. You know that that was that was really that you know yeah. There, there were those places were were there.
3: I I, so, I did one redeeming thing though. I made I made the bathroom better than the bathroom <laughs> used to be. That's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> the That's bathrooms true. are
2: like, ah! You make you want to run away. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> on that on that
1: note, I can uh, imagine public restrooms. We know all about those,
2: especially in discos. In- uh, especially, yeah, especially <laughs> in discos. Uh, Ray, can you give us your little speech about raising ha- uh, hands and nodding heads, please? Absolutely.
1: By the way, this is episode two fifty four. For those people who were wondering, I usually bring that up at the beginning of the program. We will so, start. Uh, who's first?
2: Uh,
0: Melody. I apologize if I have your name wrong, but you are up first. Melody. Thank
4: you so Melody. much. You have it yes. right. Annie, it's so good to speak with you and it's good to be on um, in perspective for the first time. Your forum article was in the March issue for Women's History Month right after mine. I'm honored. And you would know why I would in particular want to speak to you. Um, I have three questions, I think, for you. One, I had previously heard the you and your guide dog um, series on Sero and you're the head of the empathizers group. I was wondering if your previous experience in trauma therapy um, helps you handle people who had lost their guide dogs as a user. Second, I was wondering how you keep yourself healthy and well because secondary trauma, I mean, you sound, you're so compassionate and kind. And your, your previous clients had to affect you. And third, how do you handle families of origin? You know that we do a lot better when we have the family backing and the family we pick often doesn't get to legally participate. And that's what happened with me before. How do you handle situations where people are in unsafe environments and their families just are not wanting to work with their their loved one or with you? Thank you. Thank you, Melody. Oh, Melody,
2: all
3: your questions are like really awesome. They are. Um, all right, so the so the guide dog one, it's interesting. I I didn't think I would become a really good av- advocate for myself or for others until I got a guide dog. Now, I was blind a long time before I got a guide dog, but somehow the guide dog thing just pushed the scales for me and now I'm I'm like, you know, a, a person that I never thought I would have ever become. Um, and it's because of my guide dog and um and knowing what it's like uh, and knowing that other people like me have guide dogs and, you know, we, we're we all in a big family and a big team and we've got to stick up for each other. Uh, so that's like a no brainer for me. That's just something that you do because it's ethical, you know, and uh, you know, if I do it for me, I want to do it for other people. Um, and the secondary trauma piece. Yeah, there is secondary trauma. And, um, and yes, you, you know, that's why there's a high degree of burnout in um, the mental health professions. And that's why, um, I'm kind of glad I was retired uh, when I, I retired when I did because I think if I had had even just another year or two more in the field, I you know I may have had uh, unresolved uh, trauma from that myself. And as you it is, it? my no, I don't miss it. I I miss the people, but I don't miss listening to the stories because they're it's hard. In the work it's, it is work because you've got to work to keep yourself mentally healthy, despite the things that you're exposed to every day. being
2: And, and focus on, on a client. It's so easy. Yes. To, at the therapist, yeah. you know, it, it's easy to, 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 to draw it onto yourself, you know, yeah. rather than, and that's so it
3: a part of that is having a good mental health team around you, having good supervision, having, um, having other colleagues to call up and just, and just, you know uh, spew to and, you know, and help you with the transference and, and, and things like that. And, uh, uh, so it's, you know, so if you don't have that, your time as a trauma counselor or as, you know, a counselor for people with some serious mental health issues, um, is going to be time limited and it may be damaging to you you if you, if you can't handle it right. Um, and in terms of the families not wanting to help people who are suffering, it's frustrating you know you can you can lead them to um the intervention but you can't make them open the door to it yep. and uh and and that's when you 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 have to make an ethical decision to help the person and um do the best you can and sometimes the best you can is not the best for the person but it's not your decision to make um you know and it's frustrating um but my my the the most um, interesting interventions that I've done over the years was with families. Um, and, and part of it was because I, I just love being with families and watching them and observing their interactions and, and tweaking what, you know, saying something that'll make them, you know, more uh, affected in understanding each other, how each other's communicating. But also my guide dog was my like primary co-therapist in all of this. And I don't think I could have gotten to some of these people without my guide dogs. They um, they just brought uh, another level of therapy into the room, and I, I I'm always grateful for that.
2: I strongly agree with that. That's been my experience uh, working with groups. Uh, the guide the dogs have been a huge difference in how folks get work done. Uh, thank you so much for that question, Melody, and for the answer, Annie. Who's uh, who's next? Ray. We have four people.
0: So, right. we will start with Diana, then go to Leonard, and then we have two people on telephones.
2: All right. So, Diana,
1: Deanna. Deanna.
5: Deanna. Oh, hey, Annie. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, Annie and I have been friends since she brought out her first book, the memoir of "Follow Your Dog." I did one of the one of the um, reviews for it, and one of the things that I've always respected in Annie is she's not afraid to be vulnerable sometimes and the the depth of what she writes is really from the heart um so that's one Thank of the you. things i wanted to say about Annie's writing her poetry whatever it is she puts her whole heart in it so do you <laughs> that's why we <laughs> So that's why we clicked, uh, yeah. but it's sometimes yeah. too much for me. <laughs> I've, I bur- I was a burnout. <laughs> I only lasted a year in social work, and I had to leave because it was eating me up alive. Yeah. <laughs> um, the kids really got to me. The, the foster kids yeah. that were in the system for, through no fault of their own, But nobody was their advocate. And, um, you know, you're in the system and you're trying to make it work. And you've got such lousy choices where to put this lovely child who's troubled. And yeah, it's going to be handful at first. And people just didn't have the patience to deal with a troubled child and to realize it hasn't anything to do with you. It's... All the damage that was done before they came to you and the, the poor quality of foster parents that I had to make decisions on where to put these precious yeah. little people. And I
2: also have to know for both of you that both of you, in addition to the really difficult work you did, were a lousy system support systems. You know, both of yes.
4: you. Yeah. yeah, I
2: mean, I, I was, you know, I, yeah, I know your it was, story. Uh, it was awful,
4: yeah. both of you. Yeah. And I
2: amazing. was
5: in a system before that we're talking computers.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. all of that good stuff. And I was dealing with relocated um, Native Americans that the government had forced off the res by giving them large sums of money and saying, go live in the city. It was, it was a, a government policy for forced sim- assimilation and yeah. they were taking people away from all the natural supports they had of family and friends and people they'd known all their lives dumping them in the cities when they came from the middle of nowhere south dakota you know, <laughs> or
4: mm-hmm.
5: alaska or wherever and it was just yeah. hell trying to to balance meeting the needs of these lost souls with the system that pushed nothing paper and didn't care about, you know,
4: <laughs> about the, the individual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, them. It, yeah. yeah. The
5: event. It, the veterans individual. went through that too.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Vietnam
5: yes. veterans,
3: especially, they just.
5: Oh, I. The, know. the
3: system failed them in so many
2: major well, ways. and I was, and, and,
5: yeah, and we, I was and, part of that generation. that we, was in high yeah. school,
2: and we as a society failed them too. You know, it wasn't yeah. just the system. We we didn't no. give them the support they needed. You know, those yeah. of us who were opposed to the war. Yeah, as, as my family was, we, we, we treated them terribly. It wasn't their oh, fault. I was
5: a USO volunteer, so I understood yeah. what was happening to these guys. Because I wrote to several of them in, during my college years that I had met as a USO volunteer. And it yeah, it was hell for, for everybody. I hated yeah. the war, but I loved the soldiers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. They were That's wonderful. exactly how I feel. I love the people.
2: Isn't that the way it's, it's supposed the... to be? You know, most sculptures, <laughs> you know, are absolutely should be loved. You know, yeah. And uh, you know, anyway, Diana, De- De- yeah. we do need to move on, but I, but, I really do appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank, you thank you very much, Deanna. anyway.
1: For your Love you,
3: Annie. <laughs> Love you too. Aww.
1: Ray, Leonor, Leonor, you are next.
2: Leonore, what happened to you? Oh, there well, you are. There you go. Oh, there you are. All right. Hey. Yeah.
6: <laughs> this is great. I'm really enjoying all the comments. I just want to I see a lot of people are listening here. I just want to introduce myself a little bit more. I am Annie's editor. Um, my husband and I run uh DLD books editing and self-publishing services. I'm also Bob's editor and Peter's editor. <laughs> um and uh anyway, aren't
0: you? Uh, Deanna's, Deanna's oh, at that- Deanna, oh, Deanna, Deanna, too. Of
6: course, and Deanna Deanna's too. too. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. um, So um, I just anyway, I just wanted to say I I really love this book. I loved working on it. And I am so glad, um, Annie, that we decided on that title, Hope for the Tarnished. One other factor that was deciding, I mean, because I looked it up, there is there are a lot of books out there already out there on the market with the uh, with the title Tarnished Hope. And so when you are seeking a book title, you should try to find a unique title, if at all possible. But beyond that, I think Hope for the Tarnished is just a much, much better title for this book. And um, I wanted to comment, Annie, you said, you know, your audience is at least partly young adult, and that's just fine. And I certainly hope that lots of young adults read it. But uh, I think calling it a young adult novel would kind of limit it unfairly. Um, many, many of the characters are adults. <laughs> and and uh, you get very involved as the reader, you know, in their lives, too. And so I think it you know has would have just as much appeal to adults as as to young adults. um i'm I'm older than probably most of the people listening. I'm almost seventy six now. And I don't remember that a genre called young adult fiction existed when I was young. Um, I mean, except for classics like you know Little Women or something. Yeah,
3: uh, your clip, yeah. So I, clip, Kip, Kip yeah.
6: So I, I yeah. can't say that I've that I've. I mean, I I haven't read a lot of books in what's called the the young adult genre. So I don't know how this book compares to those. But personally, I just simply feel that it would certainly appeal just as much to. To adults, and then really quickly, I just wanted to tell everybody that the book is available on Amazon. That's the main uh, market. I mean, the selling platform for it, Amazon, and it's um, it's in paperback, which is eleven fifty, and it's in ebook for three ninety nine, and it's in in hardcover for eighteen fifty. So three different formats that you can purchase it in. And um, yeah, and recently Amazon has really improved the voice quality for the automated, I guess you'd call it the automated reading of ebook so that it really almost sounds like a real person reading. Um, so I think somebody buying the ebook and listening to it would not at all be disappointed, you know, by the by the delivery quality, the voice quality. Um, so anyway, Annie, I just want to say again how very, very much I enjoyed working on the book with you. And I wish you all success because I, I loved, loved all your writing, as you know, your other four books as well. And I certainly hope
3: you will continue to write more. <laughs> I will. And I couldn't have done it without you. Well, thank you. Know, you. <laughs> since 2016, you've been my go-to. So,
2: Can, can, can both <laughs> of you talk a little about how the, how the editing relationship worked for both of you? That is, you know, uh, you know, th- were there any uh, tense moments where there were there? You know, how, how did how did the relationship work for this book The, the, you know, getting the book ready for publication?
3: I, I love Lenore. I think she's great. She's honest. She says just what she needs to say. And um, it's a give and take, you know. But when when it comes to the technical things, I defer to her.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: She, uh, she knows more than me for sure. Um, and in terms of the creative stuff or the wordsmithing, you know, it's, it's, it's a give and take. And it, I, I love working with you. And well, thank you. And I, I don't plan to change that.
6: <laughs> well, thank you very much. And I don't remember any tense moments at all. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure, we go back and forth, you know, discussing certain things, but uh, yep. you no, know, you're just, you're, you're a delight to work with.
3: <laughs> and, and Lenore, I got to say that one time that I had had a little bit of conflict with one of my family members. Uh, not liking some of the things that the book represented. And you, you were there for me for that. And I will always appreciate that because as an author, you can have a certain amount of self-confidence in yourself and your work, but uh, when, when you get uh, negative feedback that it can really, and you and David, you know, helped me through that. So I really want to say thank you.
6: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, we've had personal experience ourselves with negative feedback from family. Families can be the worst, really, regarding yes. your writing. I had I mean, no idea can, until they now. Destroy <laughs> you practically if you let them. So no, you have to you have to take the attitude that you need to stand up for what you want to write you know, th- this is your life, your, your, your writing, your feelings. And yeah. And so I was really glad to be able to help you with that. You did. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Leonore. And there really are some, some edgy moments in this book. You know, this is not, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's some moments that, that are, they that are hard to read and and good moments. I mean, it's really, it's really well-written. Thank you, uh, Leonore. Ray, Thank you, Leonore. Yes. We have three people on try and get
0: to because okay. of, um, phone number, Phone number ending in one twenty five. You are up next.
1: One twenty five. Hi
7: Annie, it's Sally Rosenthal. Hey, Sally. Congratulations! I love the book. Sally. And um, one thing, I followed Annie's writing for years. She's wonderful. Um, Sally wrote the
3: foreword for my book. She wrote the <laughs> advanced um, review. It was
7: uh, a, it was an honor. Um, One thing that people haven't touched on yet in the book is the importance of animals. Yeah. And I know Ah. how important... Yeah. I know how important your animals are to you. And I was touched by the importance and the comfort of the animals in the book, but also you didn't shy away from a lot of the gritty reality of what happened to some of them um, at the hands of not very nice people. Yeah. But I think that that's a theme that runs through a lot of your writing, the comfort and the importance of animals in our life.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: <Peter>. <laughs> talking about yes, animals, my dog was trying to unplug my headset. So uh, that's what that was about. <laughs>
7: That's oh, okay, Sally. my cat was climbing up my shoulder at the time.
3: <laughs> and then, and then I, I had my I cat meowing at me <laughs> yeah. and disrupting me, so there you go. <laughs>
7: there you go. Yeah, but I, I'd also just like to put a pitch in for Leonor and David. I couldn't have done what I did, had it not been for them, and they really are very generous and very professional. Yes.
2: But and I, I want to say, Annie,
7: what's uh, the, uh,
2: Go ahead, Sally. What's next,
3: Annie? What's next? Um, yeah, um, I'm working on uh, I'm working on a nonfiction book <clears throat> about the therapeutic relationship between humans and animals, and, and um, in it, it, so it it'll be uh, a reflective type of. I don't know if it's going to be clinical, but probably you know, hopefully, uh, show that you know. The The relationship between humans and, and animals and how therapeutic it can be just naturally. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe Sounds some great. stories and vignettes about how that has happened. So I already have my Looking title, but it. I can't say it because that's, I'll, you know, jinx it if I Change say yourself. it.
2: <laughs> so Sally, I just, I just want to say, I think we'll be having you on our, our show fairly. I don't know when precisely, but sometime. Too. She is office. I think it's August, August 26. Awesome. Well, we we'll yeah. look, we'll, we'll look forward to that. I'll be there. Yeah. Thank and you. we have Keep three writing Sally. For Two people. All uh, right, let's, I, I'm sorry, let's sorry. try to get this done. So,
0: next <sharp inhale> up is a uh, phone number ending in 749. You're up next.
5: Hello, Annie.
7: This is Danielle. So, quickly, first of Hi, all, Danielle. Hi there, with um, who the book would, it's probably a lot of groups of people who would appreciate the reading of the book, but I'm sure there's amongst both the readers, those who would just also find it nostalgic, whether they relate to the situations the characters go through or just having been in those places during that time themselves. Um, and I mm-hmm. want to ask you a little bit like what Sally asked you. So you spoke of content that you had to scrap because it was not as relevant or applicable to the context or the primary themes as you would like so I want to know it, might that be fodder or seeds for future fiction
3: oh, <laughs> yeah I uh, it's funny you mentioned that I, if you're if you're a writer like me you always have something else on the burner or you always have two or three something else on the burner and you just got to pick which one you want to pick up and work on harder. So uh, I, th- I actually thought about doing a, uh, um, a second book um, similar to Abby's story, but in, on an, in another character. So I don't know. Um,
1: Interesting. Okay, hey, we about. have one minute for one more person.
0: Last but not least uh, one number ending in two, five, four. You are the last person of the day. Hello, two five.
7: My name is Hi Annie.
1: Yes, hey
0: Rita. Rita.
7: Hi Rita. Hi, I'm so glad. I'm proud of your book. <laughs> Thank you.
3: I haven't read it yet, but is it going to be in braille or on talking book? Oh well, I could tell you that if you go to Smashwords.com and order mm-hmm. the um the text version, and you have a braille display, you'll be able to convert it and read it on a braille display. Um. Oh. Okay, Thank and I can so I can um I can give you the instruct. You know, it's pretty simple. And um, it, the audio book is forthcoming. I have um the narrator set up. They just have to be able to do it. Um, and that's hopefully going to be but done by the
1: end of the summer. Thank, Thank you, Rita. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Rita. you Annie. Uh, Annie, your website one more time before we close
3: www.anciapetta.com that's spelled a n n c h i a p p e t t a.com two p's two t's
1: well thank you very much for being on the show in fact i i want to let the listeners know that you're going to be back next week Andy. you're going to join <laughs> joan miles and alice massa because you're going to talk about behind our eyes which yes. is a writer's group that's, that's going right. to be fun so we'll have you back again right away as okay. part of that program but for today's program, you know, thank you for promoting your book. It's a fascinating book. And I'm sure that a lot of people, young and older, you know, as I didn't say old, I said older. Good
3: for will you. Enjoy reading it. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate um, you supporting everyone the way you do. Um, thank you. In perspective. Thank and you, of Peter.
1: Course, Peter as well. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Anna or Ann. Um,
2: and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Have a great week, everybody. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Take care, everybody.